Hey everyone, I just wanted to send out a video. We're three weeks into our series, Prince of Peace. I don't expect sermons to change anybody. I, I do hope it changes how we pray, um, what we can expect from God, what we do expect from God. Um, I have been praying for some of you guys as I hear about the things that you're dealing with, whether it's a lot of anxiety, whether it's um, relational conflict, stuff in your families, healing that's needed in your bodies. I'm um, praying uh, not for just for those things to happen for you know God's shalom to come to those areas, but I'm also praying for your sense of expectation uh, that yeah, God is a God of He is the Prince of Peace. He 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 will step in here. He He will do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. If there is anything uh, that I can be praying for more specifically, please feel free to email me. Um, somebody told me like, hey, I get it, um, but how how do you how do you like? Like talking about this past Sunday, how do you get those things to go from your head to your to your heart so that you actually feel that peace? Uh, I struggle with peace myself. That's why we're doing this series. Uh, this is something I need. Um, I I will say a few a few practical things. Um, I had mentioned a book called A Praying Life um, a couple weeks ago. I suggest getting it. I really do. I, I think it'll help help your prayer life. And and I do think there's a correlation. M more prayer means more peace. I do believe that. I think I've experienced that. I think a lot of you have experienced that. More prayer equals more peace. Um, the more you pray, and I don't mean like if you pray 27 minutes, then you're going to get more peace than if you were praying 26 minutes. But I just mean the more blocks of time that you can devote to pushing aside everything else, sitting with God, letting him work in your thoughts, uh, sift your heart, um, cast your anxieties on him. Uh, the more peace. I really, I really believe that. Um, so the book of praying life, I think is, is really helpful. Um, secondly, we talked about questions in week two. I, I shared some questions that helped me. Um, those questions really help. I got a text from somebody this morning, actually, who said, I, I worked through those questions yesterday during a moment of uh, not having peace and they've really helped. So I would just say, you know, you feel anxious, you get with God in prayer and you work through those. God, why am I anxious? What came up? Number two, what am I really afraid of? Write it down, identify it. Let God show you what it is. And then number three, what is it about the good news of Jesus that I need to trust in more fully? Is it that he's in control? Is it that he's um, full of grace and mercy? Uh, is it that um, my identity is in him and not in what I'm accomplishing? And then finally, like, is, is there a step I need to take? One step, I don't need to fix it. I don't, I, the results are in your hands, but is there one step of obedience I need to take? Um, and then lastly, after this past week, somebody, Pastor Bill actually had said, hey, you know, you didn't really dissect what it means to put your flesh to death and to be filled with the spirit. Um, and I could have expounded on that more and I didn't. So um, he sent me a, a model that he uses. Um, it's a, a few steps to kind of work through, again, in the context of prayer. Um, and that's below. That's in the blog post below. You click that link and it's just some things to work through. What, what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? There's a few just kind of steps of prayer, if you will. None of these things are formulas, um, which is why I'm praying um, this prayer for us. And I'm going to just read it and, and end this video. This is from Ephesians chapter three. This is the Apostle Paul. I would encourage you to pray this, not just for yourself, but for your kids. Pray this for each other. Pray this for me. Uh, because if this prayer is answered in us, then I, I think uh, everything else falls into perspective. Our anxieties fall into perspective. Um, we're able to see the world, see ourselves, see other people through God's eyes. 
This is Paul's prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Um, but what the video is, is an introduction to the series that we've been in, Prince of Peace. Um, so this is a series that we started three weeks ago, or yeah, three weeks ago, January 7th. Um, so this is week four, where we're talking about Jesus who came as the Prince of Peace. The book of Isaiah promised that he would come, Prince of Peace. He would bring peace like no other into a world full of uh, the lack of peace, war, chaos, anxiety, pain, conflict, anger, hostility, death. Um, and so we've been talking about what does it mean? What kind of peace that does he come to bring? And the video, uh, if you were able to hear it and see it, <laughs> talks about uh, the, Greek, the, the, the Hebrew word shalom, the Greek word irene, which means a sense of wholeness and completeness. Uh, so it includes inner peace, which we've been talking about the last few weeks. It includes an inner peace. Even, even if we have anxieties coming our way, we get to cast them on the Prince of Peace. And we can rely on the spirit of the Prince of Peace to uh, fill us with contentment even when uh, the world's form of peace is um, evading us, right? That's, what, that's the last few weeks, if you were here. Um, today, we're going to start talking about another piece of this uh, shalom idea, which is relational peace. The, anybody ever lack relational peace with somebody? Conflict, offense? We're going we're gonna to dive into that for the next couple weeks. Because that has a tendency to even steal our inner peace, right? You're in a conflict with somebody, and sometimes it steals your inner peace, doesn't it? Because you're worried about how am I going to address it? How do I talk to them about it? What if it makes it worse? If I avoid it, then I might get more angry, right? What if I see them at Thanksgiving? What if I see them Christmas morning? What if I see them at church? And our conflict isn't resolved. So we're going to be diving into this topic over the next couple of weeks. Um, the, the title for today is Make Every Effort. Make Every Effort. That's the that's main point. That's the title. Get that in your head. Make Every Effort. And this comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Uh, which is kind of our anchor text, but we're going to launch from there into something else. But this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, which is made up of all kinds of people, all kinds of backgrounds. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, uh, who didn't just have religious differences, by the way. They had ethnic tension. Um, think about the tension between Jews and, and Muslims in the Middle East right now. They, they had a heavy uh, uh, a history of, of a lot of tension, and Paul's saying, well, now you guys have come together at the cross of Jesus, and um, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
So Paul's saying to these people who have different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, some of them have different sin backgrounds, right? Some of them were kind of uh, better at uh, following God's law because they knew God's law, the Jews, and, and the Gentile pagans, they didn't know God's law, so they tended to be a little more wild. And Paul's like, still, you guys may be different. You may be offending each other. Make every effort. You, you, you pull out all stops. You, you leave no stone unturned. You do everything you can possibly do, not the bare minimum, everything you can possibly do to Keep the unity. Other versions say preserve, maintain the unity, protect the unity. Which unity? The unity of the Spirit. The unity that the Spirit brought to you guys. God's Spirit came into you when you came to the cross of Jesus. When you recognized you needed a Savior, Jesus gave you His very Spirit. He put you in His family. And now you, you guys share the same Father, the same Savior, the same Spirit, the same faith, the same baptism. So, so do all you can to maintain and protect what has been paid for by Jesus' blood. It's like if I gave Lisa a brand new car. I said, Lisa, just protect this car. Maintain it. Preserve it. That doesn't mean she has to buy it. That doesn't mean she has to earn it. That doesn't mean she has to go out and build it. It just means she protects it. It's, already been, it's a gift given to her. The same thing with the unity that, this, that, that Jesus has purchased for us amongst each other and in our families. You protect and you maintain what the Spirit has gifted you with because you came together at the, at the cross of Jesus. I need two volunteers. Max and Frank, can you guys come here for a second? You don't, you don't have to talk. So I, I used this analogy a few weeks ago. If you imagine the Atlantic Ocean is the um, gap between us and God's standard of righteousness, and God says, all you got to do is swim across the Atlantic Ocean, and you're in my family. And we said, well, none of us can do that. None of us can make it across the Atlantic Ocean. I might be able to swim further than some of you guys, but I'm going to drown too. We're all going to end up at the bottom of the ocean, Right? Some of you might even be impressed by my swimming, but at the end of the day, I'm at the bottom of the ocean. Spiritually, that's the case. Jesus came into the world as a human to almost be our, our lifeboat, right? Our ark. So imagine Max. Come here, Frank. You guys are starting off at the beginning of the Atlantic Ocean. Frank is a, is a really good religious dude. He, he studies the Bible, but he's, he's you know, so he's, he does, he, he's a well-put-together guy. So he makes it this far in the Atlantic Ocean, but then he starts drowning because he just cannot measure up to God's standard. <laughs> Max is a party animal. He's made a mess of his life. He did some time in prison. He gets to about here, and then he starts drowning. I'm going to be Jesus because I get to be Jesus. I'm I'm in charge of this illustration. So I come, I'm, this is me rowing the, rowing the boat. And I pick up Frank. I love Frank. I want him in my family. Frank, you need a savior. Can you accept that? All right, get in the boat. Grab, grab onto me, all right? And I'm like, all right, Frank, now we're going to go pick up somebody else. Here's Max. Now they got some tension, these two. But I'm picking up Max. Max is in need, in need of a savior as well. Can you accept this? So you get in a boat too. All right, so now I'm rowing. They're with Jesus. But here's what happens. They, they're starting to bicker about something. 
And now they're, they're pulling out their old resumes. Frank's like, well, I was better than you at this and that, and I, I, I went to church more, and I, I know that by my, my family you know, has a history of being you know, good in the, in the town. And they're bickering. And so Paul's saying to these very guys, you guys are in the same boat. You guys are literally, <laughs> for this illustration at least, in the same boat because Jesus paid for you both. You both needed a savior. Frank, you did. Frank, Max, you did. And now I, I rescued you. I, I put my spirit in you guys. Stop bickering. Stop fighting. Stop acting like you get to decide to have just a relationship with me and not each other. We can't do that. If we trust in Jesus, guess what? Jesus is like, well, now you've got a relationship with my whole body, my whole family. And you need to work and make effort, every effort to preserve. Oh, that was good, you guys. It was like we rehearsed it. You can give it up for these guys. When my girls fight, they don't get to decide, they sometimes would want to, kick the other two out or say, I just want a relationship with you, mom and dad, not with my sisters. They may want that, but we don't give them that choice because that's impossible. Right? I can't say, okay, you guys, you guys will, will have a relationship with you, but you don't have to have a relationship with them. No, we're your sisters. We're a family. And now we're just going to make every effort to live like that, work like that, to uh, protect what has already happened here, you guys being sisters. So when Christians pull this whole, like, I have a relationship with Jesus, I don't need the church, it's, it's, it's being disobedient to what Paul is saying here. And oftentimes it comes from a place of hurt and past trauma and conflict that's been unresolved. And so people say, well, I don't need, I don't, my church is the beach, my church is the woods. But the word church means called out people. So the, the woods isn't people. The beach isn't people. Now the beach is a good place to have time with God for sure. To worship God. To uh, be alone with God. Go to the woods. Go to the mountains. Do that. But the people are people. The called out church, the ecclesia of God are the people. And Paul says, guess what? You need to make every effort to keep the unity that Jesus died to bring amongst you. And so many of us make every effort to do the opposite, to avoid the ecclesia, because they're a pain in the butt sometimes. Are they not, right? But people, other people, are the training ground for becoming like Jesus. It's real easy to feel spiritual when you're alone in the woods. I don't have conflict with anybody when I'm alone at the beach. Praying, I feel like the most mature person in the world when I'm at the beach alone. And I get around you guys, and all of a sudden I realize how immature I can be, right? And Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity. Why? Because, well, for one, it makes us more like Jesus. And number two, the world is watching. The world is watching. Do these people really have the spirit of God in them? And the testing ground is when conflict comes up. Jeff Borkowski sent me this meme recently. Unbeliever converted to Christianity after seeing Christians bicker with each other online. doesn't happen. Typically, that doesn't happen. People aren't like, oh my gosh, I need their savior. I need to know their, their father. No. This is the culture we live in, but we can be different. We don't have to be swept up by it. We can be different, and it starts with when there is conflict between you and I. We can make every effort to keep the unity 
of the Spirit. So the next two weeks, we're really talking about that. But today, as we, you know, talk about making every effort, um, I want to specifically jump into what does that look like when somebody else sins against us? How many people in the last year have had somebody sin against you? Could be a spouse, could be a brother, sister, could be a friend at church. Wait, keep those hands up. Look around. Okay. How many people have been sinned against in the last week? Okay, a little less hands. Still, some of you guys. How many people has somebody sinned against you this morning? Anybody feel sinned against by me? If that's the case, um, and if not the case, it's probably going to happen next week. It's, it's coming for you, and, and, and probably some of your loved ones and people around you feel sinned against by you. What do you do? Well, Jesus gives us this process that we're going to jump into. And, and, and it's in Matthew 18. This is one way that we are to make every effort. And a lot of folks go, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Because that sounds like too much effort. Too much work. I don't want to go through all that. But again, Jesus said, make every effort because I died for this thing called unity amongst my, my children. Make every effort. And what we do is we, instead of being peacemakers in times of conflict, we drift into some other ditch. Some of us drift into the peace faking ditch. I'll just pretend like everything's okay because I don't want to deal with it. And then it festers. And it's peace faking. It's temporary. It's a false form of peace that actually hinders long-term peace. I'll pretend like it's okay. I won't bring it up. I won't say anything. But it'll probably come out sideways down the road. All right? Another ditch we drift into is the peace forcing. This is where we hammer the other person into submission. Until, like, we, we barrage them with our words. We make threats. We just will out-talk them until they go, fine, you're right, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then we get a form of peace. But it's a false form of peace. It's a form of peace that's like, ah, I won. There, good. I feel better. But it doesn't do anything for true unity. Anybody peace forcers in here? It's hard to admit. I made that sound pretty bad. But some people can admit that. Yeah, thank you for admitting that back there. Yeah, Jess, you're definitely a peace forcer. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Um, and then there's peace, uh, hopelessness, discouragement, where we just go, there's no point. This is not going to ever work out. I just, we, we're just so different. We're, we just don't get along. Or they're so unreasonable. It, it, I, I can't do what Pastor Chris outlined on Sunday from Scripture because the other person is too unreasonable. Anybody ever feel like that? And here's a, here's a sad thing, or it's not sad, it's really not sad, but we take it as bad news. Jesus didn't qualify what he's going to say with, by saying, unless, of course, you're dealing with an unreasonable person, then totally don't even worry about what I'm saying. He didn't do that because I think he knows that in times of conflict and offense, the most unreasonable parts of us come out. Am I right? Not just of the other person, but out of us, Right? Because we're operating out of our emotions, out of our fight or flight, our amygdala. So let's jump into this. Make every effort. Jesus says this. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So, Jesus is about to launch into 
steps to take when somebody sins against you. But he, this is kind of before that, right before that. He's talking about wandering sheep. Because he's, he's saying when a sheep is wandering off, when, when somebody is walking away from God, their, their, their hearts are adrift from the Lord. Maybe they're caught up in uh, an addiction or a mindset or a sin pattern. They're a wandering sheep. And he says, my father's heart is to go after them and see them restored. And he's telling this to his disciples because he wants us, you and I, to have that same heart. A sheep wanders off, go after them. Now, here's the thing. Our church is great at this. I see you guys going after wandering sheep, people in addiction, people in dysfunction, people in all kinds of lifestyles. You guys are not offended by that, bothered by that. You're loving them. You're going after those wandering sheep. Until those sheep bite us, right? They were like, what what you doing? Like, I, I have no problem somebody struggling with an addiction so long as they're stealing from their family. But if they steal from me... Then I want to pop them. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? Right? We have no problems with wandering sheep uh, being stuck in sin so long as that sin doesn't bother me. And the minute it bothers me, then we throw out all these cliches. Well, I don't have to be friends with everybody. It's like, well, no, you don't. But that's, if that's your reaction to this wandering sheep, you're, not, you're missing God's heart here. So Jesus says, next... If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen, you've won them over. That means if a wandering sheep whose heart is adrift from God ends up sinning against you, that's a sign that God has put you in their path to be part of the rescue mission to restore them to God. We usually take it as a sign of the opposite. Well, then I'm just, I just don't want to be around toxic people. No, God said, go. This is your chance. Restore a wandering sheep. Share my heart for that person. If they're they're truly sinning against you, then more importantly, they've sinned against God. And this is your chance to help restore them. And if you go and you talk to them, and they say, oh, you're right, you're right, I can't believe it. That was a blind spot of mine. I didn't realize how I came off and how I hurt you. Yeah, you're right, I need help. I need to get help for this. If they listen, then you've won your brother over and you've restored a wandering sheep. Follow that so far? Now, we can overlook things sometimes and we don't even have to go talk to them. Sometimes somebody, you know, bothers us, annoys us, sins against us, and we, it's possible just to overlook it, forgive it, don't even, you know, make a big deal out of it. The thing is, a lot of times we think we're overlooking something and we're not. And I got a few symptoms, just from my experience, that's all, of how to know when we are not able to overlook an offense. Uh, oh, here we go. First of all, we just avoid the person. If we just need to avoid the person, we're, we're not overlooking it. That's a pretty good sign that we are not. It's still festering. It's still bugging us. We gossip about them, give them the smile, and then we go and tell our other friends or family members, can you believe what they did? That's a, that's a sign that we can't overlook. Um, we find pleasure in their failures or hardships. Mm, oof. They bothered us. They sinned against us. They, it feels like they got away with it. And then we find out they lost their job. And there's a part of us that's like, oh, universe is lining up correctly finally. Finally, God is bringing things to order the way they should be. Right? There's a sense of, again, false peace. 
Here's another. Uh, we only notice their negative traits and assume the worst about their motives. We just fill in the gap. Why are they late? They're probably late because they don't take anything seriously. They're, they only care about themselves. Like we just jump to those conclusions because we're hurt. And we haven't dealt with that hurt. And then here's one more. We diagnose them with a mental disorder. I, I, I'm just saying this is, what, this is what I've seen as a pastor in the last 10, 10 years. I mean, people, when, you're, when you go through conflict, you quickly become a mental health expert. You just, you know all the characteristics of a narcissist and a sociopath, and you just, you know it. Or you have this counselor friend who just validated every complaint you have about your friend and said it sounds like they have blank. And you just like, oh, good. I don't have to deal with them because they are blank, a sociopath or whatever. I, I, one time I had two people in conflict. One person said to me, that they think the other person is a narcissist based on all their Googling. And literally a few days later, the other person said the same thing about the first person. I know, I know. It's just our human nature. I'm not knocking anybody. We all do it, right? I probably diagnosed half of you guys already at times. <laughs> it's just what we do. So if that's what we do, it's a sign that we're not overlooking an offense and we need to address it. How do we address it? First step, you go talk to them about it. You don't make excuses. You just obey Jesus, right? You, Jesus didn't say, if, unless you think they're not going to listen, nope. You just obey Jesus. If your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault just between the two of you. Keep it small. Keep the circle small. You don't have to go tell everybody about it. You just go talk to them. And if they listen, great. You've won them over. If they don't listen, look at verse 16. If they will not listen, here's what that means. Sometimes you're going to talk to somebody and they won't listen. It will go poorly. That's not a reason to not take that first step. Sometimes we're like, oh, I know they're not going to listen. I don't even see the point in this. The point is obeying Jesus. If Jesus is Lord, we take the first step, even if it's likely they're not going to listen. Do you understand? Right? Does that make sense? If Jesus is in charge and he says, this is what I want you to do, then that's, that's point enough. What's the point? You obey Jesus. Yeah, it might go badly. It might get worse. Do it anyway. And then, if they'll not listen, to take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's a reference to the Mosaic Law. Under the Old Covenant, under the um, Old Testament Scriptures, uh, a matter had to be established by two or three witnesses. There had to be, um, you, you couldn't just, I couldn't just accuse Frank of stealing from me. Frank broke into my tent and stole something. Uh, everybody treat him as guilty. Validate me. No, you had to have some witnesses to uh, help establish that, look at the matter. I'm the offended one. Sometimes the offended party doesn't see things clearly. So we bring one or two others along who can be objective, who can sit down with the two and go, okay, maybe, maybe there's a misunderstanding here. Maybe you guys are missing each other. Okay, you did sin here. You really should deal with this, but you had a part to play too. That's what those one or two witnesses are for. Not, you don't get one or two people who are going to side with you against that person. You, you know, you don't get your, your, your prosecution, you know, dream team to come and sit down with them. If I got a problem with Frank, I don't get to go to Max and go, Max, you're still ticked off at Frank, aren't you? Perfect. Let's go sit down with him. Let's stick it to him. Let's hammer him. Because remember the point of the whole thing. Restore my wandering sheep. 
So you get somebody who's going to be objective. And, and here's the temptation for all of us when we're hurt. We look for validation rather than reconciliation. And we prioritize those the wrong way. I want validation, so I'm going to go to the person who I think is going to validate me. And we all tempted to do that. We all tempted to do that. So we got to be careful who one or two people we bring in on it is. You know, be careful of family members. Like, my parents are going to be very protective of me. So if I have a problem with somebody in church, it's very unlikely I'm going to talk to my parents about it because they're going to be protective. Not because I don't trust them, but they're just going to be protective. And so we got to be careful. There's multi-generations of people with the same last name. Because you share the same last name doesn't mean that the other person's safe. Doesn't mean they're safe. They might pick up your offense, and then the whole thing gets, you know, it's like pouring gasoline on it. It's not always the best thing. My, I, I don't hide anything from Jess. But I don't tell her everything. i got to be careful to protect her heart. You know? And if, if, if I have a conflict with Frank, I know Jess is going to challenge me to look at my own heart and give Frank the benefit of the doubt. Because she loves Frank. I keep using Frank. We don't have anything, brother. Don't worry. <laughs> but if I have a problem with somebody else who she had a problem with last month, that might not be the healthiest thing. Babe, do you know what so-and-so said? She'd be like, oh, they did it again. Like, like that's not going to be necessarily healthy. So we get somebody who can be objective, who loves us both, and is working towards reconciliation, not just validation. That makes sense? Because when we're looking for validation, then we're going to be ticked off at the one or two witnesses who don't take our side. And I've been in that seat before, the, in the mediator role. Sometimes, sometimes party one says, you were too hard on me and too soft on party two. And then, this has happened more than once. Party two says... You are too hard on me and too soft on party one. Now, it's possible I was too soft on both or too hard on both. What's impossible is to be too hard on both and too soft on both at the same time. And in the history of being a pastor, I have never been a mediator in something and have somebody come to me and say, you know what, you are too soft on me and too hard on the other person. That's never happened. Because our hearts look for validation not reconciliation. And that's something that in our flesh we need to put to death. I'm putting this to death, and in my heart, I'm going to make every effort, every effort to preserve unity here. So I'm going to get one or two people who, they might need to challenge me, and I'm open to it. I'm ready for it. Not just somebody who's going to agree with me on what their consequences should be. That makes sense? Let's keep going. So, um, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Okay, so this is a third step Jesus outlines here. By this point, most of us are like, I'm done. I'm done. I said what I needed to say. I'm out. This is pointless. And Jesus is like, actually, round three. You keep trying. You make every effort. You keep working. To, because, again, who died for our unity? Jesus died. He bled, he rose again to have for himself a people made up of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and differences, and sin issues, and addictions. He died for that. And for us to say, eh, I'm jumping out of the boat that you just rescued me into, it's, that's a sin against him. No, we make every effort. So tell it to the church. What is the church? Well, Matthew was writing at a time when there was house churches, so I don't think it means like we grab the microphone. Everybody needs to know what Frank did to me. Like, 
there are times, maybe if the pastor falls into something, everybody should know, but um, I, I think it meant the house church. It meant this small uh, group of people uh, led by these elders who are uh, doing life together. Um, and so if Frank has sinned against me, and uh, I grab Max and Rich, and they're objective, and they're helping us hash things out, and Frank is just going off the deep end, and they're agreeing like, yeah, Frank is, something's off with Frank. Like, he sent an email to the whole church saying, Pastor Chris is the Antichrist. And so that came from a place, and he doesn't want to deal with that. So we need to work on that. So maybe we get our men's group, or we get other elders, and we sit in, hey, Frank, can you address this? Can you look at this? That's what I think, basically, the circle gets wider to help establish the matter, to help make sure we're looking at things objectively. And then, and then, and then he says, if they don't listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, at this point, if they still don't listen, then that's when consequences and boundaries need to come up. But we don't start with that. We don't lead with that in the first step, right? We don't go defriending people and saying, I'm never hanging out with so-and-so because I had a conflict with them. You, you make every effort, and even pagan and tax collector, that just means you, you treat them like they're, they're, they're not, um, they don't have the same influence and authority in your community. They're acting like, if it's been established by all these attempts that, okay, they're really acting like they don't belong to Jesus, they don't have his spirit in them. Uh, so you still love them, but you don't give them the same influence or authority anymore. So that might mean, Frank, um, yeah, you're, you're not an elder here anymore, or you're not leading a group anymore. Um, depending on what it is. Maybe it's, hey, you can't be a part of this group, or you can't. We had somebody living with us at one point. Uh, they were an alcoholic. They had been to prison for domestic stuff. They came out. We had them, him living with us. Um, she just was pregnant with Tessa, our youngest. Uh, our other ones were little, of course. And we said to him, hey, you can stay with us until she, uh, the baby comes, um, or unless you drink. Okay, okay, okay. Well, one day we came home, and he was been drinking. Called his sponsor. They, him, the sponsor and AA group came, picked him up, took him to the hospital. He was, you know, he was really, um, really blasted. So he went to the hospital. We gave his stuff to the friends. Hey, you know, we'll, we'll follow up with him when he's out. Well, 3 o'clock in the morning, he's knocking on the door. And we're like, hmm. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? He's like, the hospital let me go. I'm like, oh, really? Uh, and what are you doing here? Well, let me in. I was like, no, nah, dude, we made an agreement. Can't let you in. You agreed to that. Well, where am I going to go? And this is where it's tough, right? Because you don't have answers for them. And sometimes consequences and boundaries, somebody's like, well, what's going to happen to me then? And we want to protect and control and make sure. And this is where it's like, I don't know. You got a cab here, get a cab somewhere. But we can't be responsible for the other side. This was our agreement, and we're going to have to keep to that for the sake of restoring a lost sheep, right? So that we're not enabling something that's unhealthy. So that this unhealthiness will maybe get dealt with. But pagan or tax collector doesn't mean uh, we write them off, we give up hope. It just means we put some things in place so that they realize, wow, I've really caused some damage here. I'm really being stubborn here. I'm barely being prideful here. And with the hope of them waking up. Anytime we've recommend couples, married couples separate, it was always for the purpose of somebody waking up. Oh, man, what am I doing? And then working towards reconciliation. Not as a first step towards divorce, but as a first step towards reconciliation and true unity. So, but that's 
All that to say, that happens at the end of making every effort. We don't give up on people after one set of conflict or even two. We work through everything Jesus gives us to work through. Talking about boundaries, some of us put them up too fast because we want justice. We want our own sense of justice. We want the person to pay, to feel it, and it's, it's out of a sense of vindictiveness. And, if, and some of us fall in this, we err on this side, and we, we just need to know ourselves. I can err on this side. Some of us put up boundaries too slow because we're people pleasers or we, we want to play savior in somebody's life. And we need to know if we err on this side. Because if we are too quick to set up boundaries, we're not making every effort. And if we are not willing to put boundaries in place, then we're also not willing to make every effort. Does that make sense? Jesus finished this passage by saying, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be with them. That's not about prayer. That's about this passage. That's about a community working together to rescue a wandering sheep. That's about working together to establish a matter, to, to make every effort, to uh, uh, turn over any stone necessary to rescue a wandering sheep, to help restore uh, two people who are in conflict. That's what this is about. What you bind on earth, bound in heaven, loose on earth, loose in heaven. It's about being a culture of, a, of, of peacemakers where we're willing to say, hey, Frank and Max, you were rescued by Jesus and now you're bickering. We're going to step in and help you guys get along and reconcile as the body of Christ. Danielle Daber and Bill Meyer just got certified as conflict coaches. They worked through this whole thing. Um, they're doing a life group about this topic starting not this Wednesday, the following Wednesday. It's a daytime group. You can find information about it on the back table. Um, but the reason they did that is to help uh, just bring more resources, training to the table for this purpose so that they could be those one or two witnesses when people are, are in conflict and they can help prepare for that second step. Okay, now we're going to sit down together. We're going to work through what's going on in your heart and your heart um, so, so that we have a peacemaking culture, right? It's not just individuals being willing to do this. It's as a community because together where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, he, he'll be there. He'll meet us there. Bottom line, make every effort. Make every effort. Don't give up. Pull out all the stops. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Jesus knows it's not going to be possible to be at peace with everyone all the time. But as far as it depends on you, are you making every effort? There have been times when I knew people were upset with me, and I initiated, and then initiated, and then initiated again, and I got exhausted, and then I felt like, well, let me try this. Let me send a card in the mail to see if they'd be willing to meet, so that at the end of the day, even if they're still upset or don't run a relationship, I can at least feel like, well, I did everything I could possibly think to do. And then there was peace. When I did that, even if the relationship was a little rocky, there was always peace for me if I knew I did everything somebody was suggesting. I, would, I did everything scripture was teaching. Somebody else was suggesting, try this. I'll try it. I'll try it. Let's try it. And then there's peace. There's inner peace, even if relational peace isn't there yet.
So I want to ask, as we end and band, you guys can come up. Is there an unresolved hurt or offense or conflict in your life? And if so, is there another effort you can make? Another step you can take? Another conversation you can have? Somebody else you can bring in on it? Just asking the question. Not asking for a show of hands. Just asking you to just think on that for a moment. Is there another step you can take? Is there another effort you can make? At the end of the day, conflict is a moment or offense in our hearts is a moment or knowing somebody else is offended at us. Even if it's for something that we think is silly, it is a moment that reveals if Jesus really is our Lord. How we respond to conflict and the effort we're willing to make reveals whether Jesus is truly our Lord. Because if comfort is our Lord, we're not going to make every effort. We're going to have one uncomfortable conversation and then we're going to be like, I can't do that again. One uncomfortable conversation a year for me is all I can handle. If control is our Lord, we're not going to make every effort because we only want to make efforts that we know are going to end with a certain result. And Jesus is like, no, you don't have control over the results. You just obey me, making every effort if I'm Lord. If approval is our Lord, is our God, is our idol, we're not going to make every effort because we're going to want to make sure the other person is happy with us at the end of it. And they're not always going to be. If Jesus is our Lord, we're just going to obey him and put the results in his hands. So Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a community, a people who can do this in every area of our lives, at work, in our families, in our church community, with our kids, with our spouses, that we would be willing to make every effort to protect what you came to earth to live for, to die for, to rise again for. It's a gift, God, that we get to have many brothers and sisters so different from us. Put together in the same family. What a gift. I pray that we would be a people, community, who works hard to protect it, to preserve it. That we would fight for peace. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and we're just going to sing a little bit.